1: like in Argentina for River Plate or a Book of Juniors, or you're going to Europe.
2: He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made
0: Matt look stupid. He made Mooney look silly.
1: Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question.
0: When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody.
1: Except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 377 of Low Limit Football on this 22nd of January, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight the German Bundesliga returns for the 22 23 season. And with it, we gladly welcome back Sebastian Heller, who returns to Dortmund after his battle with testicular cancer. Reports out of London indicate that Antonio Conte will leave Tottenham Hotspur at the end of the season. What's next for the Italian manager? We'll discuss that. And Juventus are docked 15 points in the Serie A table, dropping them from 3rd to 11th after judgment is passed in the Plus Valenza scandal. What's next for the Bianconeri? And who could be next in the prosecution's eyes? We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Martino Puccio from the Athletic Fantasy and the State of Play podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man?
2: Good, Joe. Good. Obviously, good to see that all the five uh, top leagues are back in, in Europe and certainly without any drama and news. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to be back here and doing another week of podcasting.
1: Yeah, you know, and I was looking ahead for the match of the week. And, and just as we're getting back and geared up and ready and Germany's back, England's off next weekend because they're playing the FA Cup. So you know this this topsy turvy scheduling um, of the leagues and, and how everything is condensed. We're going to be feeling it all the way through to probably the Women's World Cup in July, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's get right to business here because um, we have a great show in store for everybody, and we're going to start off with uh, the trivia question as we normally do, my friend. And I have the honor this week, so uh, I'd like to lay it on you. Go for it. All right. So here we go. It's a transfer window question. Um, You know, looking at some of the amazing numbers that are coming out of England and more specifically Chelsea Football Club. England has spent 430 million euro on transfers so far in this winter transfer window, being led by almost 200 million of it by Chelsea Football Club. It's an incredible number. We saw them bring him Mikelo Mudrik uh, just the other day. He did uh, debut on the weekend. Um, Chelsea Football Club have outspent the other five, uh, the other four leagues of the top five leagues combined. Uh, Chelsea spent at one hundred and seventy eight million where the other five, the other four leagues combined are spending at eighty nine million euro. It's just an incredible mind boggling number. And I know we're going to talk a lot of money and transfers and stuff in this show, but I didn't want to give you a dollar and cents question uh, in, in this one. So I'm going to give you an age question um, and I'm going to give you a couple of cracks at it at the end. But Chelsea Football Club had brought in for that hundred and seventy eight million um euro they've brought in seven players like i said the most recent is mikael Mudrik. Uh, combining the seven players what is the average age of the seven players combined okay all right and um the information's courtesy of transfer market so if anybody has any comp- complaints Contact Manuel Veth, I guess, right? (laughs) We'll blame it on him, but we'll give you that answer at the end of the show. So let's talk about opening thoughts. Opening thoughts today, a couple of different things. We're going to go through a couple of different subjects. But first off, uh, the news this morning that we found out that Antonio Conte, now the reports are a little garbled, but Antonio Conte will not be returning to Tottenham Hotspur uh, and he'll be leaving at the end of the season. I've got to say, Roberto, that I'm not entirely overly surprised because Conte doesn't stay more than two or three years he's almost like uh, Mourinho Jr. at this point right where we see him kind of go in do his thing um, get angry with the world and then leave and things at Spurs have not go- been going uh, true to form for Tottenham Hotspur so far this season but I'm a little surprised at this because this club and this team was starting to take the Antonio Conte shape of a 3-5-2 team they were they were making the right moves to an effort to get to that point bringing in the pieces that Conte wanted um but now it looks like they may not renew his contract at the end of the season and and he'll be going elsewhere what are your thoughts on this breaking news I mean I I think ultimately when you look at Conte's book of business you know you kind of expect this but I I don't know that I expected it this time just because uh, of the progression that he's been making at Spurs
2: no I I don't like he said you kind of really hinted it there. You know, this is someone that doesn't really stay for too long. I mean, looking at his, his track record, I mean, he's been there for, yeah, two seasons, you would think, two and a half years. Um, that happened at Inter, that happened at Chelsea, happened at Juve. Um, so, you know, again, this isn't someone that is is known for staying for too long as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just a lot of things that I think, unfortunately, are going on at Tottenham that you see... Perhaps I think honestly, like a, a team that I think they, they wanted to and this is obviously talking about the board itself. I think when Tottenham had the opportunity to get some Antonio Conte, they thought, you know, why not go for it? I think there was that feeling and excitement and it started well. I mean they obviously went they did um they pushed for top four, they went to the Champions League. They're still in the Champions League actually. They went Milan in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. obviously they have that. But just you know the way that they've been doing the performances, it's just been difficult. You know, you see the way that they've been playing; it's very inconsistent. The style of play could be as well as is very dull. You don't see many players really stepping out aside from the the odd Harry Kane, Hungman Song, Kulishevsky, and and you know players maybe like Christian Romero and and many others stepping up. Um, Ulu Loris has not been the same that he's been in quite some time. Um, there's just been so much really uncertainty going on at the club and, you know, I think obviously with what happened to um to really just going on right now with um Tottenham's board as well. Look at the, the news about uh, Fabio Partici as well. Like mm-hmm. what's going on with him, that he's been kind of in that um band that the Italian Football Federation gave um for thirty months, yeah. you know, so there there is a lot of things that are really going on at the club. Um and you know, again, this is someone that is a a ticking time bomb. I mean, you know, this is someone that, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, goes in, everything's fine and cool, like there's no issues whatsoever, the, the team does well, Conte wants his backing, he doesn't get his backing, and then obviously then you look at the performances that the team has and it's obviously makes sense why someone like him would leave. Um, and so I, I think that is just, you know... You can see that this is someone that is very incredible to hard to deal with, and unless you want to give him the backing, which I know clubs have very difficult um, have a difficult time doing. It happens not just in to someone like Conte; it happens to many managers in the world, and sometimes they leave because they get frustrated or they get sacked. So, I think with Conte, I think you know this is someone that maybe as well, Joe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as well because I think. We know Antonio Conte is a good manager. We've known he's been consistent at the clubs that he's been at. And he's won titles elsewhere. But do you think that after the stint at Tottenham, regardless of what happens, that he's kind of really fell off in a way? I mean, I, I don't want to go into that because we kind of hinted it at someone like Jose Mourinho, for example, how you know maybe what he did at Tottenham, and yeah, going from Tottenham to Roma is a different ballgame, but you see some of the accusations and kind of the way that he's been managing. Um, has it hasn't been so useful can we finally say the same about Conte and his kind of style that's maybe it's a bit
1: outdated you know I I, it's a great question um at first I when I when you first said the question I wanted to say no um because you know I think Conte is still an excellent manager I think um I think you know substitution wise and tactically wise he's very very good uh but at the same time you know, I that as that thought rolled through my head, I'm like literally opening thinking. Um it it's it's tough to say because he is tactically rigid, you know, and, and this is kind of the things we talk about with Max Allegri. We we talk to an extent about Jose Mourinho. Even we're starting to talk about it with guys like Jurgen Klopp and 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 Pep Guardiola, where they tend to be a little more tactically rigid and not nearly as dynamic and um fluid as as maybe a manager a modern manager should be so with Conte is he tactically sound in the three five two and and how he wants to play and his and his player choices and substitutions and his ability to read the game absolutely he's one of the tops in the world in my opinion but is is it something at this point where he is too married to a certain system um, and then you also wonder is he capable of going to a different system is he capable of Maybe going to the next team or the next stop that has pieces that completely don't fit the three-five-two, and he's going to have to come in and maybe play a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one or something. You know, change his formation and his tactics in his formation to fit the club that he goes to next. Because let's be honest, Antonio Conte is not going to be on the sidelines for a very long time. Okay, it's just he is too good of a manager. To, to not be there. I know we, we, we talk about Zidane and and how Deschamps was renewed at uh, in France and uh, and at this point you know Zidane is kind of a man on an island, but I think he's just kind of biding his time. Antonio Conte will not bide his time. He will not he will not rest. He will find the next great opportunity and he will take it. So, yeah, you know you start to think though, is that next opportunity something that is going to fit his style or is it something that he's going to have to shape? Um, the team into his style or is he going to change his style to fit the shape of the team and i think that's going to be the next evolution in in antonio conte's coaching career uh you know you know let's let's say and again this is we're looking into crystal balls here right where we're we're looking 6 months ahead because nothing's happened he's still the manager for the end of the season like you said he's got um Milan coming up in the Champions League he's got he's got plenty of stuff on his plate still and he's still not out of the race for uh you know the top 4 in in England and and I guess in theory he's still not out of the race for the the, the the top spot although you know the losing to Arsenal is not really going to help him that much but you know in in your perspective what what do you see next for Antonio Conte? Do you see or do you see maybe that this is just water under the bridge and when they come back and evaluate the team and and the job that he's done um come at the beginning of June, the board at, at Spurs says, you know what? No, we've got to keep this guy because he's building a winner and we need to let him continue with this project.
2: Yeah, I mean that that's always the difficult thing with like these kind of things with these managers that you don't know what kind of future is uncertain. I mean, I think, you know, someone like him, he won't be without any offers. I mean, certainly there are a lot of clubs out there that would love to have Antonio Conte on his team. Um, I mean, look no further than a team like Juventus right now. Who, mm. who knows what's going to happen with them? But, yeah, I mean, th- this is it. Like w- We need to, I think, really figure out what is going to happen because I think someone like him, you know, I think deserves the backing. I think he knows what he's doing. I think, you know, someone like him with this track record isn't doing it Um out of the not the out of the office, but it's like it's no coincidence, so mm. I think there is that, but I don't know, I just worry that maybe the way that he's dealing with his teams are probably not what he wants it to be he, I mean certainly the style of play that he wants at at Tottenham is not the one it's not the, it's not something that he wants to deal with, yeah. and so yeah, i mean it's it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, and you know obviously. Um, it wouldn't be surprising, like I said, you know, it would not be surprising for him to go. Um, and I think there are just so many things that are going on that I think perhaps are better left Ed, um, behind closed doors. But honestly, like, I it, and this all depends on the season as well, mind you. So, yeah, you have to, we have to wait and see if Tottenham can still make uh, a top four push. Honestly, looking at the way that they're playing, I don't know if it's going to be that case. I Honestly, Joe, I think, they're in a situation where they probably will probably finish in like the Europa League spots or at least in Europe because you know you have teams like Brighton up behind their back, Fulham, Liverpool you know it's it's funny to say even Chelsea as well like, yeah obviously the gap is still four points but four points is four points mm-hmm. that's that's a lot to get in another what 18 matches left in the Premier League so yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think for them, it's just to see if they can go and, and reach top four and and see what happens from there.
1: Well, you know, I, it brings up two two thoughts for me. Um, first of all, you look at the run of form; they've lost three of their last four, but two of them are to Arsenal two nil and Man City four two. A, a match that they actually had the lead in. Um, so this is a very, very, very difficult section of the schedule for, you know, for Spurs in general, having to play the top two teams back to back in this league. They also, you know, they beat uh, Crystal Palace 4-0. So they had a great showing there and then losing to Villa 2-0 before that. But looking at the the fact that they lost their last two matches, you know, to, to City and to Arsenal, a lot of times that could sour a guy like Antonio Conte. Do you think that these reports are coming out now because of this? One, that's one question I want to ask you. And two, if they've gotten those matches out of the way, and, and like you said, they're going to play City again in two weeks, um, but getting all those difficult matches out of the way means the schedule is going to be softer going down the stretch. Are they capable of maybe challenging you know, a Newcastle side that's drawn three of their last four and holding off a charge from a Brighton or, or a Fulham or, or even like Liverpool or Chelsea that could possibly turn their seasons around? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think, you know, the matches probably haven't been useful, but they've also lost matches to, you know, teams that they should be on their day, um, like Villa, for example. But just looking at, actually, if you think about it, Joe, like look at some of the teams that they've lost to. Lost to Arsenal, obviously, uh, home and away. Manchester United have played so well under Ten Hag. Newcastle as well. I think they definitely deserve their plaudits. Mm-hmm. Liverpool, who are, you know, they can be inconsistent on it, on their day, but they're still a good side. Um, and they lost to Villa, who you know. I think that was kind of a, for me, it probably was a one-off because I mm-hmm. think you know Villa are are a good team, in they're Unai But you, you think Tottenham with the quality they have, they should beat them. And then, like you said, you, they lost to Stone City. So, yeah, I'm not here to to um, how can I say? I'm not here to to say oh they've only lost to said, said team, and that should that shouldn't be an excuse. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because they've, they've won so many games. But I think. Yeah, their schedule hasn't been working well, and yeah, looking at some of the matches that they have in the next few weeks, obviously they have the, the FA Cup, like you had mentioned, against Preston North End, a, a side in the, in the championship. I mean, that, that's also another thing too, I mean, who knows if they can go on a deep run in the FA Cup and, and see what they can do there. They got the Champions League as well, they, they, they're they going to play a Milan side who, yeah, I, I think, I don't want to go into top predictions as well yet for the Champions League, but... You know, you think that they could beat this Milan side, who I think have also been inconsistent this season as well. Mm. So there is that possibility, and just go on from there. I, I think, look, if 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 I think if Antonio Conte can return a trophy at Tottenham, I think that would be tremendous for them because they haven't won a trophy in like 16 years or something. So mm. you know, for them to for him to do that and then leave, I mean, unless he is given that backing and say which. You don't know how clubs can work. I mean sometimes a trophy can can change things, but listen, if if I'm able to to do that, if I'm in the if I'm in the board of directors at Tottenham, I'm like, yep, yeah, let's let's give this guy what he wants, because he's obviously returned something that previous <laughs> managers haven't uh before Antonio Conte. So yeah, I mean that's we're just gonna have to wait and see. But like I said beforehand, regardless of what happens, I genuinely think that Antonio Conte will leave top of this season.
1: But, you know, Antonio Conte winning a, a trophy and leaving is – his resume is littered with that scenario. No, he right? did that
2: at Inter. I think he, I think he, he did, did that at Inter, Chelsea as well. Did so
1: Chelsea, not, he did it at Chelsea. did
2: it at U not, Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be out of the obvious, but yeah. it, it almost feels like a um, – it almost feels like a clapback, saying, "This is what you're gonna miss. Thank you for everything. Mm. See you guys."
1: <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what, yeah, it's exactly what it is. And and you know, like I said, it would be so on brand with Antonio Conte to do it. Would be, I I think at the end of the season, if that does happen, I think we would actually sit there and laugh at the next show, <laughs> just just because. So, um, you know what. But you you bring up a great segue because obviously, like you said, Spurs are, are going to face Milan in the Champions League, and our guest is a Milanista. So. Um, let's get him in here, so and continue the discussion as well as uh, look at this because I think also the Paratici part of this equation does uh, does kind of tie in with what we want to talk about with Juventus with um, with Martino. So, without further ado, let's get our guest in here: the Martino Puccio interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the State of Play podcast from the Athletic Fantasy and Odds Checkers, uh, Martino Puccio. Martino, welcome back to the show. It's always great to catch up with you. Roberto and I were just discussing Antonio Conte and uh, his possible departure from Tottenham Hotspur at the end of the season. Uh, One of the things that Conte has on his plate, though, before all of that is said and done, is their matchup against uh, AC Milan in the Champions League coming up. You know, with your with your job with odds checkers and with with uh, fantasy, but you are also a Milanista. I'd like your view on 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 the matchup coming up in a few weeks. You know, pl- you know your thoughts on on the matchup between the two. How Conte can affect it, especially with his familiarity playing or you know facing AC Milan so many times. Um, and what are the, basically what's the money on this uh, particular match?
0: I mean, well, basically to to advance to the next round, it's really just about even at this point. Um, if you like talk to both fan bases separately,
1: <laughs>
0: you you're basically going to get what what's happening in the Spurs is, oh we're just doing our Spurs thing, there's no way we advance to the next round. The Milan's in their worst form since Pioli took over basically, since that 5-0 defeat to Atalanta. Um so if you talk to either side, no one thinks they're going to advance. Um but if you get down to it, I think just the amount of money invested that Spurs have, um, Conte's record against Milan, and even Stefano Pioli at that point um, is something that I would probably lean towards. As far as Milan, I, I, I just I don't know how this form changes. They're supposed to get Mike Magnan back for that first leg, which is obviously a huge boost um, because we see how much they're struggling without him. Um, and Zlatan is aiming to come back that date as well. So maybe it's, it's more positive for Milan at that point, but I don't know as a fan, I'm not too confident in it at the moment. I was just happy to get to the round of 16 and also like Conte's record in knockout champions League football is horrendous. I mean, he couldn't even get to the knockout stages with inter. Um, We saw how much he struggled with Juve as well. Um, It's kind of turning into something's got to give at this point. And To be honest with you, I probably would lean Spurs. Uh, I I, I think I would be very, very pleasantly surprised if Milan pulled this off. I do, however, think Milan, if this was with the older rules where away goals count significantly more, um, then it would definitely be for Spurs, I think. But now I think this is a little bit more of an even playing field. And again, Milan's record against English clubs... uh, I guess you could say since that uh, golden era of theirs in the 2000s ended, it's been abysmal. Um So, I, I mean, there's a lot of demons that need to be exercised for Milan to pull this off. Um And I'm not particularly confident in that happening.
2: Now, I just wanted to really switch gears real quick, uh, Martino, and talk about another English club in, in Chelsea. Because I think, you know, what we've seen from them so far, and, and I think, you know... It's interesting to see what Todd and kind of his plan is so far. And you look at some of the transfers that they made, which, you know, people are kind of arguing about, like, you know, how are they able to spend that much? But obviously, if you knew the rules about how that debt and, you know, with the uh, UEFA financial fair that really isn't that kind of an issue. But just like looking at how much they've already spent, you saw that what they thought in the summer, you're seeing what they're probably going to do in the winter, what they've done in the winter, maybe they're not even done yet. But, you know. And you see some of the performances that they've had, like, yeah, obviously Chelsea have kind of been, um, I would say, hindered with a lot of injuries and that maybe hasn't helped someone like Graham Potter. But just looking at what they are trying to do, do you see this sort of plan working out at Chelsea? Because, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of, I would say, players that are probably are going to be leaving uh, starting at the end of next season. but. You know, do you feel as if though this plan might indeed work well, or do you feel like there's still some other issues that I think the club has to deal with?
0: Well, I think, first of all, people were kind of going at FFP. Um, Todd Boley wiped all the debt that Chelsea had. So that's a significant part of, of this entire thing, because they're like, how are they spending all this money? Like, well, if you think about it, it's three-year rolling periods. They're a Premier League club. It's Chelsea. The revenues are absurd. And they're kind of spreading out the way these contracts are being given. That's why the length of the contracts are kind of helping out. Is it, in totality, more money and more risky for Chelsea in the in the long term? Sure. But if in the short term with FFP, it's not as expensive as some would think. But for me, I just don't see the plan with Todd Bowley. Um it's very, very strange in my opinion because you spend all that money over the summer for Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel doesn't even survive to the World Cup. you get getting Graham Potter. Graham Potter wants certain players that he likes. You think that they're all fully geared to go get Enzo Fernandez for the midfield because the midfield is the biggest issue. Besides all the center backs that they were losing that they had to replace – um so they had so many different areas to not only replace they had to get the right fit for them um and then the mudrick thing was pretty incredible. To me, that didn't even seem like Chelsea wanted him the entire time. That kind of seemed like, oh, Arsenal's in on him, Let, let's go in here and, and swoop on that. Not to say that they weren't interested, but it's just, if you're following these transfers, it just felt like that's the way it was going. And then you're kind of like, okay, do they actually need wingers? Like, what's the situation with wingers? They're not trying to allow Ziyech to leave. They got Raheem Sterling. What's Christian Pulisic's future? Um, there's so many question marks Um, and you would think that they would have uh, done a better job of addressing the striker situation. Armando Broya tore his ACL, so he's not someone who's going to contribute. Lukaku's situation isn't even fully resolved, as Joe knows, because I don't even think Inter want him back at this point. It's going to have to be a significant cut in wages, like even more than what we saw. And then on top of it, it's like, what's the price with that? Um, They're getting great talent in there. There's injuries, as you mentioned, but my goodness, I think the match between Liverpool and Chelsea yesterday is just a microcosm of the direction that the both of them are going in. There's a lot of talent on the field, but there's no product uh, that that you could see translating to trophies as of yet. So if you're, if you're sitting there as, as a neutral, you're like, there's no way this is going to work out. I mean, only time would tell. I, I don't think as of today what Chelsea have done is enough. Like, I still don't like that midfield long term, Kovacic and Conte are not. Um, something that's probably going to be holding out three years from now, let alone um, you know two. Uh, so you know, I I think I think they have a lot of issues and. I don't think they could spend their way out of it. I think they have to be a lot smarter about this youth system that was highly rated. And again, youth systems with top clubs that have high expectations are kind of tough to gauge because, yeah, it's great to call them up, have them on your squad. But at the same time, you need to win. So they're not technically ready most of the time. So it takes a little while for that. I think it's a massive overhaul, and an ownership um has to be judged after three to five years. Um, it's a complete overhaul. And I think Todd has a ton of risks here. This is not like it's something, oh, uh, I, I, I know I'm going to mess up the center back's name from Monaco, but, like, him, Mudrick, um I mean, Kukurea over the summer as well. Like, no, no one's been a slam dunk yet with these signings. I mean, Mundrick looked great yesterday, but that's one appearance, right? I think there's just too many question marks for the amount of money spent. And we're, we're kind of hoping that Grand Potter turns it around. But if Grand Potter and Chelsea keep struggling, guys, for the rest of the season, does Todd Boley make a brash decision again? And then you're out two managers within a span of 12 months, you know? I mean, there's a lot of risk here. You miss the Champions League, and yeah, they're honestly at risk for all of European football. I, I'd be worried if I'm a Chelsea fan um, in that aspect. But you got to know at this point, the resources are even greater than Roman, and that says something, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it definitely does say something to, about how they're they're handling it. Uh, Badashio, by the way, that's the that's the center back you're talking about, Benoit Badashio of yeah. Monaco. Um, You know, there's something that we do in our intro here, and I actually want to reference Joe on this one. He says in our intro, over a billion dollars have been spent in transfer teams between the the clubs in Europe. That was seven years ago. Now, and looking at it here from the Premier League on transfer market, they've spent over 2 billion, 2.6 billion euros uh, between transfers all across the Premier League, all the 20 clubs. And, you know, there's been a lot of discourse about, you know, obviously – how we don't even need a Super League because there's already one in the Premier League. So I just want your thoughts on, do you feel as if though, you know, with the likes of Real, Barca, even Juve, you think that they were right about the Super League? And hell, even some of us kind of felt a bit misunderstood about it now with just how the Premier League has just been spending so, so much in recent years. It's, I mean, it's it's a loaded thing, right? Because it's
0: credit to the Premier League for advertising, as well as they did, they're very smart in tapping into the market of 300 million English-speaking people, and aka the U.S. Um, I think that's a distinct advantage in terms of language. In terms of you know trying to get people invested into a sport, it's easier when you speak that language. The production value that they have is guy high like leaps and bounds better than anything I think Bundesliga and La Liga do a good job right because we're three people that do watch everything so and 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 we watch our American sports and I just think it's funny to me and you guys know this Major League Baseball has better TV money than the Premier League and what clubs get like that's that says something we're talking about you know quote unquote a dying sport depending on who you talk to over here there's a money issue in how much clubs generate. Um, and I think the thing with the Super League that made sense was getting rid of UEFA, the TV splits, and how much the clubs got and how much UEFA got. What does UEFA need the money for, right? Like, what what do they seriously need the money for? And and the argument was the ownerships from these clubs were like, we have the stadiums, our leagues really have the camera and the production. I mean, we can neg- They they were basically saying we can negotiate with networks for that. Um, We just changed the name of it. I still think the Super League is poor in the sense that a lot of clubs would suffer from it that are not traditionally giants like, you know, Napoli, Roma's, the Lazio's of the world, like the Sevilla's of the world. Um, Even clubs within the Premier League, you you could even go to Frankfurt in Germany who won the Europa League. There's so many teams that are going to suffer from that. Um, that I think it's unfair. Would it benefit teams like Juve, Milan, like Inter to be able to spend more and generate more revenue like the clubs that they actually are, you know? But it's like, at the same time, these governments aren't helping anyone out. Joe could tell you this. Juve are the only team in Italy that's a, that's a big team in Italy that on their stadium. That's a problem. It contributed to that dynasty that they had with nine straight titles like Milan and, and Inter weren't having owners investing, uh, and they also didn't have wise investments as well. So they were also hindering themselves. But at the same time, where's the revenue? The And again, Joe knows this. Sorry to keep, bringing you know, Joe, with this, but it's true. Scudetto winning team in Italy generates only a little bit more than what the second place team gets. There's a, there's no significant cash influx for these clubs. The, the Super League is supposed to be the solution for that. But I think it's just kind of unsustainable because if you have the Premier League clubs in that, they're still generating a lot from their league alone. What these guys are doing within their leagues, it's not good. How La Liga is in the situation that it's in is kind of pathetic, to be honest with you. They should they should be so much better run than they are. A lot of teams like own their stadiums. What Real Madrid and Barcelona do in terms of carrying, what Atletico was doing was was great in terms of carrying the league. Uh, You know, there's just so many other questions. You're not going to see that type of money generated in Bundesliga because of the ownership split and how they they make things up at that. I think probably the best way is to introduce some sort of uh, salary cap in terms of spending relative to the amount of revenue you generate might be something or even a, um, uh, you know, like a cap number. For the champions league mm-hmm. so say there's some good players that would be left out for pre- premier league sides right it's if you make an x amount of wages you have a cap t- this is just like you know what's been brought up by people say you have a hundred million euro cap um if your wage bill exceeds that for a squad of 23 in the champions league then like if you go over that amount you have to choose to leave out a player for that um and and kind of go down that path But the reality of this is is that I think UEFA needs to to cease to exist. Um, I don't think the Super League works, but I also do find it incredibly hypocritical. And maybe you guys agree with this or not. I find it hypocritical of football fans from the Premier League saying that football was going to be dead when the Super League was going to come about. But you don't hear a peep in which you see the spending disparity is so great at this point. Because it's only the Premier League benefiting. I think they love it when they benefit from it, and they don't give a damn when it's other people not benefiting. And I understand coming from the perspective of, hey, we did a good job on our own to benefit this way. And that might be true, but I just don't find the disingenuousness from these fans, to be fair. Like, it's just just BS. Like, come on they they didn't want the super league because they they fake cared about, you know, other clubs not being able to compete, but now when it's going to look like a little bit more of a leveling a level playing field in terms of the other big clubs spending, then they didn't like it. That's just what rubbed me the wrong way about this whole thing. I don't think the super league's a s- uh, solution I just think a greater revenue split in which favors the clubs is a better solution because if we can get more money generated for clubs like, you know, Milan, Inter, Sevilla's of the world, Lazio's Roma, um, even what you could get in the Europa League. Because think about it, the amount of people that watch Major League Baseball um, television wise, right, we're talking about strictly ratings and the amount of money that's generated for those teams is disgusting. It's so much money, it would easily help level the playing field. How can you not get the amount of eyeballs that baseball gets just for the Europa League alone, right? Just like I said, we single out that competition. But then we have the Champions League guys. Guys, hundreds of millions of people watch that. We have over a billion people watching the final. You're telling me where the Super Bowl is getting over the figure that it gets, where they generate that type of money, that the most popular sport in the world can't be doing that? That's a problem. And there's something fishy about it. And I think ownerships were right in questioning that. And I'm not saying Perez and Agnelli are the cleanest and squeaky guys, right? Like they're, they're multi billionaires. They, you know, it's not like they don't have any dirt on their hands. But the fact is this, and, and I think they're 100% right on this if anyone's the bad guy in this and turning a blind eye and not helping other clubs, it's UEFA. I mean, come on now. We all know City and PSG, when they started their spending, did not have the damn revenues to back up that type of spending. They lied about it. And, I mean, they even got in trouble for that kind of stuff when City almost got suspended from the Champions League for two seasons. Uh, And, of course, the the appeals court system's a joke that nothing ended up happening to them in that sense. You know… I just think at the end of the day, there's so many different types of solutions, but it's just the power struggle between the rich and the super rich. And it's not going to get resolved until UEFA is disbanded. And I know they're trying to change up the competition and all that kind of stuff. But I think we all know deep down who the problem is, who we could point our finger to and say, if they're no longer there, would things be for the better? And maybe, but you're still probably going to need a governing body. To have rules set in place i just think uefa is the worst at it i think they just don't care i think you know i mean we could go watch that fifa documentary that's been on netflix um, to kind of just get an inclination of what it's been like um i think ffp in theory sounds better than it is um in practice and i think the three of us have had this conversation multiple times and even on this podcast on state of play Um, the system's broken and it's not working um, because it's supposed to be more about an even playing field. And as you mentioned with those numbers, it's not
1: even. So it's a great segue for me. Um, Yeah, first of all, tell me, Tell me, we have we don't have a super league, but we have a super league. It's just called the Premier League because of the money. The only teams that are surviving at this point with the Premier League teams financially, technically, are, are okay. going to be the the super big ones. So the PSGs, the the Bayern Munichs, the Real Madrids, and then and then obviously the uh, the the Barcelona's and the Juve's. Um, and and I want to talk about the Juve part of it because obviously they were you know as we're familiar with in the city Ah. They were whacked with a 15 point deduction for their plus Valenza scandal. Um, sure. You know, in the valuation of players. Now there's reports coming out of Italy that 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 is going to expand now uh, to Roma and Milan. There's talks about it going to Napoli for the Victor Osiman um, situation um and I, and I try to be objective about this situation but it's hard for me being a juventino um and I don't want to say that this is some kind of witch hunt that, that they're going after Juve yeah. but you know these are the kinds of things money wise that teams have to teams have to do or are doing even in plain sight to allow them to continue to uh, to be competitive on that world stage and I think that's what Agnelli and and, and you know the the uh, Florentino Perez's of the world we're talking about is that, you know, in England, all this money is there and those teams spell, spend you know, willy-nilly and it doesn't matter. And I know yeah. Todd Bully and, and Chelsea are a different thing because they wiped out the debt, but PSG could do it. You, you know, Newcastle, because of the own Saudi ownership now, could yeah. literally just buy every player and, and they would still be within the financial fair play rules. So uh, yeah. you know, the, the so we look at this plus Valenza situation where PSG was not knocked down by the French League and, you know, City was not or Chelsea's not you know, being punished by the Premier League. No. We're seeing the Italian League kind of eat themselves um, with Juve and then taking it a step further. Right. With with possibly going after Milan, Roma and and Napoli. And, you know, some people, you know, in the Twitterverse, because everyone's a genius on Twitter um, is bringing up the Bastoni um, situation with Inter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it's it's so I mean, what are your thoughts on on Plus Valenza? Was Juve punished too harshly? Will they win their appeal? Um, Because they're going to appeal this. And what does it mean for Italian football and even world football at this point?
0: So, well, so, like, the whole thing with – there's there's multiple cases against Juve for people who kind of don't know that. Um, the Plus valence is just one of the many. Mm-hmm. Um, Juve are in deep trouble for multiple reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I keep trying to tell Juve fans, and they, they keep getting mad at me, and it's dumb, but I'm letting you guys know the, the potential wage issue of paying players under the table after publicly stating that you weren't going to do such – um, as a publicly traded company, is the real issue. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a that's a crime. of stock market manipulation, um, and that affects the revenues generated by Juve. That's and, a deep rabbit and hole.
1: Right? And I want and I want to add in here that I agree with you. That that yeah. this is this is yeah. one of the things that Juve, you know. And I don't know did they did they actually prove that they were paying players under the table? Because
0: um, I, well, so well, so like that's that's what the whole investigation is going on. But right. from what we understand by reports is that Delict and Dybala told reporters and they showed apparently in a whatsapp chat where killini okay and whatsapp if people don't know probably you do at this point most people Mm -hmm. um whatsapp is end-to-end encrypted so everything's saved on there everything can 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 be pulled back um this can this can be proven um and delict as we know left UVA, so you know he has no you know dog in this fight at this point i wouldn't be shocked by it um Mm -hmm. But but again, if, if they are involved in that, then investigation's ongoing and if they're proven guilty in that, I think they're done for in terms of UEFA competition. They're coming at them. That's an FFP breach. Yeah. But if we want to stay on the topic of Plus Valenza, I think, I think it's unfair to Juve in the sense that it, it takes two to tango in mm-hmm. those types of deals. So if, why is Genoa not getting punished in terms of points? There's been fines and all that kind of stuff. And you know what the stupid part is, Joe, and mm-hmm. this is why we struggle and get so frustrated with Italian football is you come out with a verdict and then you say, we're not going to give you our reasoning for 10 days. Right. It's like, okay, great. So now we have to sit here. There's speculation being made as to why or why not. Do I think, one, Juve were being sketchy with some of the deals, right? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. I think so but, too, yeah.
0: But but, but the game is the game, right? I think when you see clubs like Udinese and Genoa um, purchasing players for record money that aren't even that highly rated of talents you know it's kind of like all right come on now that's a little unfair and then when you see inter selling and including deals uh including primavera players and deals to to satisfy atalanta Atalanta's a main culprit in this because mm-hmm. we all like applaud atalanta for their great business and some of their business is really good like don't get me wrong moran like sales like that it's good business um but when it gets down to that, like like involving Milan and Roma in with Juve, like why are we punishing these clubs when everybody in Italian football would agree with you? Luca Pellegrini was a pretty highly rated fullback. Mm-hmm. I'm not punishing them for valuating them at that price. Caldara, I thought it was a lot of money, but the, the amount that Bonucci was sold for and the amount on his wages, it made sense at the time, mm-hmm. right? Like Caldara, Joe, you knew this, was like the next big italian center back to come out
1: yes he was right
0: Mm -hmm. like this is you for me you can't be coming at both of these clubs for that you know i don't even like pianic and arthur right we can go there for another one as well i mean Mm -hmm. come on the were those highly inflated bloated prices yeah definitely Mm -hmm. but if it was like two two of the clubs agreeing with it i'm kind of not going to hate on it that's not something i'll hate on right what i do what i do despise is not despise in the sense what what I do think should be punishable for clubs involved is the kind of stuff where Sturaro is going for the money that he went for. You know, like to me that's kind of like I'm not saying point deduction. I'm saying like a fine. It's mm-hmm. kind of like hey, if we're proven that both of these guys are involved like that, like I don't want Genoa skating by just with a fine. I think that's unfair. Right. I really do um because like as much as I I, I find it amusing to see Juve punished for the shady dealings. I think it's unfair and it and I think it's fair grounds where fans like you were saying, like in a sense it is kind of a witch hunt and unfair, like if like these deals for plus Valenza are under the assumption that two clubs had an agreement on a price that is subjective at the end of the day, because it's the most subjective sport ever, um, that they came to this price. Does everyone including Juve fans, agree that Sturaro was worth that much? Come on, everybody knows deep down he was not. But at the same time, it's kind of unfair that Juve are being punished for that when we agreed that the deal in place between two clubs was bullshit. So it can't be bullshit one way, guys. It has to be BS both ways. So that's my problem with it. And then with the appeal with Juve, I mean, it's weird because we have to wait for the reasoning yet again. Because um, uh, uh, the lawyer – I'm drawing a – Joe, I'm having a brain fart on on the word. The prosecutor's word, sorry. The prosecutor wanted nine points.
1: Kena, Kena, I think, is his name. Yeah, so they wanted
0: nine points as the deduction, and then it comes out to be 15. And then I also think it's very important for people to note in this situation, it's either 15 or zero with the appeal. So there's not going to be a work down of like, oh, well, yeah, it's 15 points. We're going to knock it down to eight, right? It's not like a suspension in American sports. Hey, uh, this guy's suspended for four games. He's going to appeal and probably only serve two. That's not what's going to happen here. Um, it's either all or nothing. Um, for me, uh, prior to any reasoning being released or any reasoning I can, I can think of, um, it's it's going to drop. I think logistically it has to go down to zero for this. I think Uribe are going to be severely punished when it comes to the other cases because I think I think it kind of makes sense because Uribe were still spending pretty well during the COVID year where everybody was kind of losing revenues and especially in Italian football, a league that really does suffer financially from that kind of stuff. We saw what happened with Inter, I mean, even Milan to an extent, Roma, all these clubs, everyone suffered. Mm-hmm. Uribe were still kind of doing okay and I know their revenues are great. But if there's some sort of manipulation, there, you know, Um, so again, I don't. And again, I don't expect UEFA to do anything with the plus Valenza um, situation. I don't think they can, because then it's like at that point they have to get the other clubs involved. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And they have to open all those cases. And there's about 40 cases, I believe. Um, So the reasoning is going to go deep. And if there's a paper trail of this. And I think if the prosecutors actually show enough and it logistically makes sense, I think the punishment is just in that. But it's heads will roll, Joe, as Mm -hmm. you know. And I think UVA fans have a point. Um, And this is someone who despises you guys. (laughs) I think you guys have a fair point in saying, why the hell is no one else that's involved in this that's clearly done sketchy business? I'm not saying like, you know, like, like singular deal, right between Juve and Genoa. It's selling like you know a, a player for like eight million, like the the Romero stuff mm-hmm. um, between Atalanta Juve. I don't, er, er, and he was at Genoa at one point. I don't think that needs to be investigated. I think it was clearly a highly rated player, and that's a pretty mm-hmm. decent price. Um, whether or not Genoa had the money is a different story, I guess. But I don't believe in penalizing them for that. They, it, like you know Juve decided to send him there. That's the way it goes. Or Cellini. I mean, again, pre- pretty highly rated. I don't think that was ridiculous. But it's it's going to have to have a fantastic and phenomenal explanation because it comes down to subjectivity and subjectivity with the law. There's a huge gray area with mm. that. And I just don't think it's going to be upheld. And if it does say, that, say this 15-point deduction is upheld, it's going to be Juve versus FIGC for years. Um, And again, an overarching thing, and I got into arguments with people about this, um, because they're under this belief that a club like Milan needs Juve to succeed. It's false. It's not true. Because Juve didn't need Milan and Inter to succeed during the 2010s. I think that was obvious. Um, But I think everybody knows deep down if we don't have a strong Juve, we don't have a strong Inter. The league is going to suffer for it um, because they're the only one resource-wise that can, can that can compete and can help in Europe. And it's it's I to come down to it. What I ultimately thinks happens to Juve is um, I think they're going to get popped for UEFA because I think it's likely that they did pay players under the table um, because if was you. I saw the quotes of it, and I'm sure you read them too, of, of the players and what Chiellini was trying to tell people, uh, and the players in that WhatsApp chat. And, it, and it, that was very eerily sus- specific, unless these newspapers are completely making up conversations, right? Um, and they're making up that Delict gave information away. You know, you know I, I think UEFA is going to ban Juve. Um, I think it's going to be bad for them, and I think it's going to be horrendous. So, say the fifteen point deductions upheld, Juve probably aren't making top four at this point. They have half a season to make up that much ground. It's significant. Um, never say never, but I don't, I don't know about that. Um, and then again, if UEFA bans them, where is this money going to be generated for Juve? What players are going to want to stay at Juve? Right. You know, there's going to be a, a significant domino effect to this that could. be... Not kill them off in the sense of what happened during Serie B. We're probably not going to see a Juve be competing in the Champions League or competing for it for nearly half a decade. Mm-hmm. That's that's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. They can get back to it, and then again, Joe as well. Who's going to want to take that director job? Because right. all the everybody's suspended now. Um, it's 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 bad. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's frustrating for Italian football because we all know. There's so much upside to it. There's so much upside to this league. It's 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 insane. And that's why people like you and myself drive ourselves bananas yeah. because like Italians usually do. They're stubborn and shoot themselves in their own foot. And and they're like, who did this to us? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh,
1: we're really it's good hard. at it. <laughs> you know, so
0: it's, no one's better here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Martino, thanks for joining us on the show, man. Um, always a pleasure to catch up with you and all the best with everything. I mean, you, you, you're a busy man right now. So, you know, between oh, odds checkers. Yeah,
0: yes, No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: no. And, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're welcome back anytime and, uh, and always great catching up with you, my friend.
0: Yeah, same same to you guys as well. Um, State of play, even the Milan stuff that we're doing uh, with Matt now. So Mm -hmm. whenever Milan and Juve play each other in the the second half, I believe it's towards the end of the season, actually. So um, we'll try and have you on then. Um, Always a pleasure. Uh, Appreciate it, guys. Good luck to your Cowboys tonight. Um, Maybe the Jets will make the playoff one. one
1: All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. Take care. care. And special thanks again to Martino Puccio for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some matches of the week coming up, especially now that uh, that the Bundesliga is back in. We're going to give you a double on the Bundesliga this week, um, you know, moving forward, just because uh, we got to get them back up to speed. So we're going to open with a midweek match between Freiburg and Eintracht Frankfurt. By the way, second place Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. That matches on Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. Then we fast forward to Saturday, where they're going to, Face an even bigger challenge. Bayern Munich host Eintracht Frankfurt at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. Following that up with the Marseille-Monaco match at 3 p.m. Uh, when we were talking about the, the whole financial fair play stuff and, and teams, you know, he, I know Martino pointed out Sevilla quite a bit. I was thinking Marseille was, was one of those teams that uh, that would benefit, but I digress. On Sunday... Napoli and Roma, 2.45 p.m. And Real Madrid and Real Sociedad at 3 p.m. in Spain. That is going to close out our Sunday action. Like we said, England is off until February 3rd because of FA Cup play. But on Friday, you're going to get City and Arsenal, 3 p.m. in the FA Cup. So definitely keep an eye out for that one. Roberto, earlier in the show, I gave you a trivia question, and I'm going to just repeat it quickly. Um, the big spenders we talked about earlier, Chelsea, they've spent uh, 178 million pounds in this transfer window. They've brought in seven players, including Mikhail Mudrik, which just brought in this past week at 70 million euro. My question to you is, of the seven players that they've brought in, what is the average age of the seven players they've brought into the league? Oh, wow. This
2: is going to be an interesting one. Um, I know they're young, but I know they're not that young. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm going to use a ballpark number and say 24. The oldest player on this list is 23, Joao Felix. So oh, I would wow. say the, the, okay. the number is lower. Okay. One more time.
2: 19. 19.
1: Very close. 20.3 years old. Wow. Um, so Mudrick's 22. Badashile is 21. Uh, Madueke, who they brought in from PSV Eindhoven, is 20. Andre Santos, who they brought in from Vasco da Gama, is 18. Uh, David Fafana from Molde is 20. Joel Felix, 23. And the one that's forgotten, Gaga Slonina, the goalkeeper, the U.S. uh, goalkeeper, 18 years old. The average age, they're getting younger. Everyone talks about Thiago Silva, um, I think at, what, 36 right now? Something like that. Uh, But... Chelsea's definitely trending younger at at 20 years old with these transfers. So, my friend, without anything left on the docket, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 377 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Martino Puccio for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll... Take a look back at that Arsenal matchup Against Manchester City We're going to go through the big five leagues And see if there's any more fallout From this Plus Valenza scandal in Italy So for episode 377 of Low Limit Football I'm Joe Ucello I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening everyone And good night